Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Hey everyone, James from Glee Books in Sydney here. This weekend, Words and Nerds is brought to you by us. If you're missing being amongst the shelves of Glee Books, we're trying to bring a little bit of the shop to you. We're running virtual tours on our Instagram, and our resident storyteller Rachel is holding digital rhyme time and story time sessions on Mondays and Fridays at 10am on Instagram Live. Give us a follow either at Glee Books or at Glee Books underscore kids to keep up to date with our recommendations and other goings on in the bookshop. While we're closed for browsing, we're still open for click and collect orders and we're also offering free posts within 10 kilometers of our Glee shop or free delivery for orders over $70 nationwide. You can place your order via our website, which is at www.gleebooks.com.au. We can't wait to see you all again once lockdown is over, so please stay safe. My name is Mayanne Lamel, and I'm thrilled to have your company as the guest host of today's episode. If you love listening to conversations about writing and learning what happens inside the world of books, discovering what publishers, agents and editors are looking for, and the steps involved in getting a book onto the shelves, then you're in the right place. Today, I'm talking with Annette Barlow from Australia's largest and most successful publishing house, Allen & Unwin. Annette has worked in the publishing industry for more than 30 years in bookshops, in sales, in editorial, and she spent more than 20 of those years as a publisher. As well as being involved in the Vogel's Literary Award, Annette teaches with the Favour Writing Academy, Allen & Unwin, and she's also the reason I can call myself a published author today. I am delighted to have her on the Words and Nerds podcast. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of the mysterious world of publishing, Annette, I'd love to know where you're talking to us from today. I'm in my home office in southwest Victoria. Can you tell us where you're located? 
Okay, so today, starting from the bigger picture, I'm in sunny downtown Crow's Nest, which is a Sydney suburb just on the northern side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I do not have a harbour view, which I'm very disappointed about, but we occupy, we being Alan and Anwen, occupy um, two floors of a building in Crow's Nest and I'm on the top floor. I have my own office and one of my walls is covered in bookshelves and therefore books. And I have too much paper, way too much paper in the office as well. <laughs> I kind of had this image that um, back in the 1980s and 90s that publishers' desks would be piled with, with paper, but then with the, obviously, the evolution of people submitting their manuscripts digitally, then that wouldn't necessarily be the case now, but obviously it is. Well, it is, yeah, and I think, I think mostly if I'm in the office to read or reading at home, my first preference is always to read on paper. And I think that it's something you can get accustomed to. You can become accustomed to reading online or, um, you know, on Kindle, whatever. And I do do that when I travel, but I always feel my reading experience is better and more engaged when I'm reading um, on paper. So I guess it's old fashioned, but <laughs> that's the way. And I also, I make notes when I'm reading and I scribble a lot and turn down pages and, and link, you know, oh, page 74 and page 200 both have the same paragraph, all that kind of thing I want to do. And I, although I know you can make notes on other sort of, um, on devices, I just don't feel that it's as spontaneous and quick as it is just when I'm reading on paper. So yes, there are piles of paper everywhere and it's a terribly sinful thing to go to the photocopier and print out piles and piles of manuscript, but I do it. I can understand that because I much prefer to read in paper as well. In and after spending the whole day on the computer writing, I can't stand to pick up an e-book. And then I love that for you as well. It's the same thing, that relationship with the paper. Yeah, it's exactly the same. And it's funny, I remember, I'm old enough, Maya, to remember that transition for writing as well. Before I would always, well, we all just wrote, you know, on paper, we actually pen in hand and wrote and I would always have said that that was the creative way of doing it but now of course I'm completely transitioned into um, writing on the keyboard in fact writing longhand for me would be very laborious now I love the the speed I guess of the keyboard fair enough you've got some um, time efficiencies to get through and lots of manuscripts <laughs> as well <laughs> How much of your time would you spend reading and how many manuscripts do you have come through your desk oh, on, a, on a weekly basis or a yearly basis? I think I would have always thought I would spend about 90% of my time reading, but there's so much else involved in the job that 
I don't think that's the case anymore. But how I get manuscripts, so we have a submission program called the Friday Pitch. Anyone can find that, the details of that on our website. At the moment, they're looking at about 300 submissions a month. So that's getting a bit unwieldy. <laughs> we do have a dedicated staff member whose job is also doing other things as well as Friday pitch. And when, when things get like that, she calls in assistance from her colleagues. But it is a lot. Not that many of them make it through Friday pitch. Of course, we both know um, one author who did, Leonie Kelsall. Uh, so she was on Friday Pitch, the book that became The Farm at Peppertree Crossing was found there and, and two of our staff read it and were super excited about that and brought it to me and I could see the quality there and so we've contracted that and the second and just contracted books three and four so that's a happy Friday pitch story but but in truth there's not a great deal that comes through Friday pitch um, I also get manuscripts from literary agents and that that varies but it may be maybe three a week or so sometimes none sometimes four or five and we have a scout we have a US scout she reports every week on what's happening in the fiction and non-fiction world and what manuscripts are, are running around and are available most of my reading I think is actually done at home in your spare time yes in my spare time because there's just so much else to do when I'm in the office or when my colleagues are all working at the same time we have a we seem to have a lot of meetings Tuesday was always our meeting heavy day but these days there are meetings on almost every day and then it, it really depends on what time of the year it is like last week Sydney Writers Festival was on and that took a lot of everyone's time and next week we've got our sales conference so I'm getting ready for that there are individual meetings about my books so I'll meet with the in-house editor the publicist and the marketer sometimes even the finance department not so often with the finance department often around royalty time that is an intense period for them you know we get a lot of questions from authors and agents about their royalties that filter through me. Lots of phone calls, author meetings, although there weren't so many author meetings last year. Of course, <laughs> it was a very quiet year for that. Also, we recently announced the Australian Vogels Literary Award that I take care of. So the lead up to that. There's no real one plan for every day. I guess it depends on what's coming up, whether our authors are happy or not, what needs to happen for them, the sort of, say, digital assets that need to be arranged, all of that kind of thing. As the publisher, I'm the conduit, I guess, through which other requests are made. That encompasses a lot, Annette. You've got, um, you've got to have your head around so many different aspects of the business as well to make all that magic happen. Yeah, I do have that experience from the editing area, which I love. I love engaging with the text to the, the way books need to be printed or what needs to happen in between. I started my 
publishing life in the editorial department and at Alan and Unwin, the editorial department also does a lot of the production. I was involved in, in that. So I've got a fair idea of the whole process. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so can you talk us through how you got to that job in the editorial department? Did you start at Unionet? Did you do, did you work there as an intern? How did you get your foot in the door at a publishing house? Well, <laughs> it was funny. No, I didn't. I didn't go to uni at that time. There were no, in Melbourne, RMIT was running, I think. In Sydney, there were no real publishing courses. I mean, that's changed a lot since then. But at that time, what I could do was go and do a time at a legal publishing house. So the legal publishing houses were the ones who actually trained you because everything, of course, had to be so specific in legal publishing. I actually started my working career as a nurse and I trained at Royal North Shore here in Sydney and finished the training and then decided, no, <laughs> this is not for me. I, I'd always loved reading. I read all my life and I really wanted to do something with that in literature. So I think my biggest aim at that point was to be an editor. And I started working in bookstores and then I went to sales repping. That was for Oxford University Press. And then I went to legal publishing to get editorial training. That was with Butterworth. Then I came to Allen and Unwin and I was just so lucky to, to come to this company, I feel. I came and was in the editorial department and moved on from there. Quite a different jump from nursing to then book sales and, and then publishing. It was but you know what the psychology that you employ in nursing I think has held me in good stead in publishing because so much of this industry or my job is about making relationship and if you can't do that and you don't have kind of the integrity of the relationship in mind it makes it very difficult so and that goes through to selling the books too the sales reps have to to have those relationships with the booksellers and the publicists have to have those relationships with the media. It's a trust business, really. And I think you do that well. I think it's lovely. I, I often will say, my friend Annette, when we were first, <laughs> um, when we first met, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it, it really is this lovely friendship that you form with your authors. And do you have, you'd probably have different relationships with different authors depending on which stage of the the process they're at as well? I think that's very true. And, you know, some authors are, are much more curious about the business and what's going on. I mean, you're number one, Miss Curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good thing, I think, Maya. I mean, you're in it professionally and that's how you conduct yourself. It's not a hobby. So I never mind. I never mind answering all the questions and, you know, making sure that we're keeping up with you. But yeah, everybody does it a bit differently. So I try and fit in and sort of make notes to myself if, if we're, you know, there's been a, a rocky patch with, say, publicity or marketing or whatever. You know, I try to make a note to myself, oh yeah, more support needed. And I do my best. Sometimes I fall down, but I try. I think you do a fabulous job in it. Can you tell us the process 
from when one of your published authors who you've already contracted first time that you see their manuscript so how does how does that work that process I can't do all of the structural edits for all of my authors because I publish about 25 to 30 books a year um, and that becomes quite a lot uh, so but I do love that I really love that process and I try to do as much as I can and what um, if we go back to the people that aren't contracted what type of process is it so let's go through the um, from acquisition to publishing process and I'll try and do that briefly so we'll presume that okay it's landed and I've read it and loved it and I will often when things land I'll often just look at the first page and see if I'm excited to read on or not and then it tends to take a place in a queue but say let's take Wildflower Ridge uh, by Mayor Linnell as an example on this <laughs> um, question Acquiring a book, we have a fortnightly meeting. Um, our, it's called our acquisitions meeting. And a week before the meeting, I have filled in what we call our new book proposal and circulated it and the manuscript to all of my colleagues who will attend that meeting. Um, so backtracking a bit, the new book proposal asks questions of me like, why do you want to publish this book? and name two market comparisons with their book scan sales figures. Um, who is the author? Why is he or she the right author for this book? It asks me for three sales points and a subscription target, my subscription target. So in essence, it's giving the reader of that document an insight into the way I'm thinking about the book and how we can position it. And at that meeting are our chairman, our CEO, our sales director, our marketing director, our publicity director, and all of the publishers. So there's a lot of wisdom and experience in that room. And the discussion is often quite vibrant, shall we say. But for your book, Maya, I mean, it was a no-brainer. Everyone could see the comparisons. Everyone could see where it would fit on our list and how we would sell it, what it would need to look like. And we could also see, I could also show them by um, looking at your social and the sort of tone you had that you were going to partner us in, in that promotion. It was a no-brainer there. It also showed me that you spend time listening to author talks, absorbing any wisdom from them. You occasionally did conversations with visiting authors in your area. Uh, you networked really well. And you must have said in somewhere in a post that you were writing a rural novel because I remember uh, messaging you on Instagram and asking for the novel, you know, saying, oh, well, it sounds interesting. Uh, I'd really like to, to read it. And you sent it to me. I think it was on the same day. <laughs> and you also wrote a really to the point letter accompanying that, just letting me know why you wanted to write and your relevant background, which other books on my list you thought your books would sit next, next to. 
and also telling me that another publisher had requested your manuscript. And that all felt very professional to me. I liked that a lot. I wrote to say uh, why I liked the manuscript and asked if you'd be happy to do more editorial work. And also, importantly, if you intended to stay in the genre for your following books. And you wrote back and addressed all of those points. And so I made you an offer. Now, also, you had gone to um, Alex Adset, hadn't you? Yes, I had. And she was wonderful. I might be from the country, but I wasn't slow on the uptake. <laughs> and uh, I might never have seen a book contract before, but uh, I'd made sure that it's um, exactly as it should be, as it was, of course. That was wise. And it's certainly something that I would never um, say not to do. And I, I, Alex actually offers a great service in that you don't have to sign up with her. She will do contract advice um, on a freelance basis. There are a few things that we talked about after that that Alex had prompted and I think we were pretty happy to fit in with most of them and then the contracts were signed. I know that when I go to Author Talks, I love to hear how people um, got their writing contract or how they, they, you know, they came to be published. And so it's a common question that I have. And, and I love telling that story and it, it amuses people greatly when they, they hear that social media um, played a big role in it. No, very, it's very interesting because I, I often do question whether social media sells books. Such a lot of time given to developing Instagram and Facebook and websites. Uh, I think it's necessary to have a website, but I just, I just don't know if it sells book, books, but it certainly makes the author more accessible which generally people like and in our case it allowed me to say oh look at this person look at her Instagram she actually lives what she writes and that's very interesting and okay I want to see that book that's great well that's everything I could possibly have hoped for and if we just backpedal a little bit, can we go into a bit more detail about the contracts and the book cover? Contracts, yes. Once they're agreed and signed, then we get moving on editorial. So there's basically two levels of editorial that I would always expect to do. There's the structural, which is the bigger picture of, of a book, um, looking at any general issues that I feel needs to be addressed, um, maybe characters, maybe plots that go nowhere, all of that kind of bigger picture stuff. And so I did the structural for Wildflower Ridge and sent that to you and you revised. And from memory, now that was one case, I think I did load it onto my Kindle because I was off to London um, at that it must have been in November. So. Oh, it was New York, actually. Sorry to was interrupt. It New, it was New York? York. Yes, because I thought that was just so serendipitous. <laughs> that makes me sound very jet set. But yes, that New York is rare and wonderful, of course. Um, so then, yes, you revised and then it was ready for copy editing. So copy editing, um, as you know, is really looking at the uh, minutiae of, of the text and making still making sure that the bigger picture all fits together, but also making sure that each sentence 
is as it should be. Uh, then it goes to typesetting and we do first and second pages. After first pages, proofreading is involved and each time it comes back to you as the author for you to check. Sometimes there are cases when the schedule is running so tight that proofreading is done at the same time that the author is reading and then the proofreader's questions are sent along. So during also, also during that time, the cover is being briefed and done. For Wildflower Ridge, your cover was running a bit late and I was trying to remember why. I'm not sure if we went through a few designers, but Nada Bakovich did it. And when that rough came through, for me, I knew it was perfect. Uh, but for you, it wasn't so perfect, was it? No, look, it wasn't exactly what I had in mind. So it's it's interesting when you've got the picture of the, the character in your head and you've lived with them for quite a while. It is different to see someone's interpretation of it when it is different to yours. The interesting thing about it was that I grew to love the cover and you know, actually holding it in my hands for the first time, it could have had a chimpanzee on the front cover. And I think I probably still would have just cried those happy tears of having my book in my hands. <laughs> but one thing I did notice, and I, you know, what you guys see and know about this whole industry um, is that you know what's going to look great on a shelf and you know what's going to stand out and you know exactly so cleverly um, what your readers are looking for. And, you know, that's completely different to the author who's putting the words on the page to put together the story. That's a whole different skill set and you guys do that so well. So I think having that faith in, in the publishing house to um, to put together something they know will attract the right readers and, and shoot it off into the world uh, to great success. Oh, thank you. I, you know, sometimes we get roughs in and, and maybe the cover, we also have covers meetings which are attended by all and sundry and sometimes the, the cover roughs come in and it's okay but it's not great and thinking all right I think I think this is okay and we'll send it out and then perhaps the author says oh I don't really like it but we will always regroup and rebrief I guess for Wildflower Ridge I just knew it was I felt very strongly that it was the one to go with and I think part of that Maya is the light um, on Penny's face it just yeah I knew that it would look beautiful on the shell and it did so the cover and also during that time the publicist is assigned to your book and she or he we've got all she's at the moment um, she begins to plot out uh, in conversation with you what that campaign might look like and Mark Marketing also, marketing starts um, to book the advertising and creating the digital and physical assets uh, like posters, pull-up banners, bookmarks, uh, Instagram tiles, Facebook headers, all that kind of stuff. And you and I worked on the blurb together. You know, our contract says that we have vinyl approval over cover and blurb and that I think should be the case, but I would never want to railroad anyone. So we work with our authors on both of those things. So what else? The text files and the cover files go to the printer on a certain date in order to be back in the warehouse 
months for, um, in your case, a June release. So it would have been around um, the middle of April that books needed to be in the warehouse. It was also around November of 2018 or the end of toward the end of that year that we were tossing around titles because as I mentioned it came in as going back home and we we went through a few titles. I think it's worked out really well to go with the um the botanical and the <laughs> it's just it's been a lovely lovely process to kind of work with you to kind of fit all those different ideas to try and get uh, get it nailed down to a top five and then a top one title. <laughs> Do you ever have title regret? Yes. <laughs> not, on, not on your books, Maya. Um, occasionally, not, I'm just scanning my bookshelves now. Yeah, very occasionally, I would say, I, I have thought afterwards we could have, we should have done better, we should have simplified it or we should have had a longer title or, you know, it varies so much. But I also think that we overthink titles a lot too. When you walk into a bookstore and you scan the vast array of titles, uh, it's kind of what excites you about probably initially the cover, isn't it, and then turning it over and reading the blurb. Yes, I agree. Circling back, Annette, I'd love to know the most unusual thing that um, the unusual way you've been pitched to. So I think that our meeting through social media is probably slightly, um, you know, out of the ordinary. But, you know, do you get people shoving manuscripts under the toilet doors at conferences or any stalkers <laughs> loitering by the Allen Armwood office doors to kind of shove their manuscript in, in your hands as you're walking out at the end of the day? This fascinates me. <laughs> no stalkers, no loiterers um, <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> but I guess the most unusual one was I was in a taxi going somewhere, I forget where, and, oh, actually, it was in Brisbane, I think. It was from the airport to the hotel. And, I, you know, the, talking about what I did. And the taxi driver stopped the car, went to the boot and got out a manuscript <laughs> <laughs> and gave it to me. Oh, that's fabulous. And did you read it? <laughs> I did. And it was not one for oh, me, no. unfortunately. <laughs> And it also is one of those things that would be very tricky to have all those manuscripts coming through the door and the people that, you know, you have to turn down. Are there any stories of people, the, the one that got away, you know, the fish that got away type of stories that you go, oh, I wish I'd said yes to that author and, and now they've gone on to win 7 million awards and send sell 10, 10 million copies. <laughs> any, any type of instances like that? <laughs> Well, fortunately for me, no 10 million copy losses, but there are authors that I think, oh, I wish I had given it more time and read more carefully or, you know, because sometimes when you're looking at manuscripts, it depends what else is happening in in the office, in your work life, in your personal life. There's a particular one who I won't say <laughs> who it is, but... I just didn't, it didn't click with me when I read the first manuscript. And now I think, what was I thinking? You, you were so stupid, <laughs> Annette. <laughs> 
so there are certainly times when when I've watched authors go on to flourish in other publishing houses and and think you know damn I should have I should have picked that one up. But also, though, I, I've got to say sometimes sometimes it's great for authors to be um, in other publishing houses. You know, one publishing house, I guess I'm trying to say, one publishing house can't be everything to everyone. So it's certainly true that um, someone might flourish in one house and yet not in another. And I guess that comes down to the publisher belief in the book. And so even if, say, a, a publishing house may have offered more money, sometimes an author is certainly right to choose on how they how they feel about the relationship with their publisher. Mm, indeed. And what type of um, advice do you give to the people that have submitted their manuscripts and it hasn't been successful what do you say to the aspiring authors you know do, do you say revise it and resubmit it or try try again or find yourself an agent and have them work through it before you know you think about sending it back what type of advice do you give out in that type of direction I think it it depends sometimes if I think there is that there is a book in there that just needs to be worked on. If I really have faith in it, even pre-contracting, I'll offer to work on it, to do a report so the author can revise. Uh, but often it is a matter of, yes, I think it would be good to, to find a writer's group, um, join the writers, your local writers' centre to do that. And the writers' centres have so many courses you can do now and really get put some time into exploring the craft, um, maybe have uh, take courses in the genre that you want to write in. And, you know, I'm thinking of, say, crime here because there are always uh, creative writing courses on crime. Sometimes if it's... Yeah, sometimes I might just say, you know, it's not for me, thanks so much. So, yeah, it varies a lot as to what the response is. Yes, and you've got quite a range of different authors on your um, list as well, Annette. I, uh, can you give us a quick snapshot of the different authors? My list has developed into a more commercial kind of publishing list than it started off, which is it's quite interesting. It was relatively literary when I first started publishing, but I've gradually moved into this more commercial space, and I have to say I love it. I still have some wonderful literary writers, but the majority of my list is either in women's commercial fiction or rural fiction, um, there's there's some crime. I'm really lucky. I have wonderful authors like um, Kate Morton and Kerry Greenwood. Alex Miller is superb. He's probably my most literary author. Uh, Kirsty Manning, Caroline Beecham, Petronella McGovern, and in rural areas, you of course, Flo McDonald, Carly Lane, Leonie Kelsall, and Lee Christine has started writing in uh well it's kind of snow crime <laughs> so it's it's regional crime i guess but set in the snowies and i published some non-fiction as well people like jessica rowe 
um, Tanya Heslip with some uh, memoirs about growing up in Alice Springs, uh, Robert Wainwright, Susan Francis, and I also published some overseas authors, books like the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society and Manette Walter's historical novels and books in translation. So Jonas Jonathan's 100-year-old man who climbed out the window and disappeared. <laughs> oh, I loved that book. <laughs> yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm very fortunate. I think that I have wonderful authors and it makes my, my working life very happy. That's fantastic. And do you actually ever get to do other leisure <laughs> reading that's not work reading? I do a lot of leisure testing out, I guess. That is also more for finding out what other writers are doing. I used to be a person who was a stickler for finishing every book I started, but I am no longer that person. So I will do some taste tests. I'll read a couple of chapters here, a couple of chapters there. And then, of course, most of my really, my own reading is done on holidays and, yeah, time away from the office. Fair enough. Ashamedly, I have not yet read Pitt Williams' Dictionary of Lost Words. So I have that and I'm looking forward to, to reading that. Yeah, one of the perks of, of working in this business is that I I'm able to pick up copies of forthcoming novels and I'm really looking forward to R.W.R. McDonald's new Nancy business. Oh. So I have a copy of that and um, that's tucked away in my suitcase I'm too. very <laughs> envious. I love Rob McDonald's writing. He's an absolute champion. <laughs> he is. And that one's coming out uh, in June. As right, well, yeah. So you're always up against each other, oh, aren't we're you? we're great partners in crime, Rob and I. <laughs> Annette, can you tell me something that people would be surprised to learn about the publishing world? Probably firstly that we're all relatively compassionate human beings <laughs> and um, not stiff people sitting sitting beside, sitting in front of our desk, but also perhaps that most of us know each other. It's a fairly small industry in Australia and there are quite close connections between publishers and agents and sales teams and booksellers. Most of us look forward to to industry events to catch up with each other. Do you talk shop all the time when you catch up? I guess you, you'd have to, wouldn't you? In general terms, you can't you have to be discreet, of course. You can't you can't talk shop um, openly, I think. But but yeah, it's it's helpful to to talk in general general terms sometime. Fantastic. Look, I'll finish up with two more questions. How yes. can people sit up and make you take notice when they're trying to get a book across your desk um, or if they're pitching to you in person at a conference or on one of those Zoom speed pitching events? I think it's about story for, for me. I want to feel when I open those pages and read the first chapter that I'm in the hands of a storyteller. There are so many emerging authors I see who really slow down their first chapters with research and information. And I think that's the time when you want to be, you really want to be interested, you want to be engaged with what the book is about. And I, it's a, it's a simple ask, but it's a difficult one to do. But what I want is for that author to make me turn 
a page and another page and another page. So that's pretty general. I know it's not specific, but it's it's an almost indefinable thing, I think. What why can one person tell a story so well and so engagingly? whereas another will struggle with getting the order right or or bogging it down with too much information. Yes, and I think it's um it's a very very big job for you to kind of weed through all those different styles of writing and the, the different layers. It's been very lovely speaking with you and I feel I'm so thrilled that I could wrangle a little bit of time with you because you have so much wisdom and experience in this space <laughs> to be able to share with us and I know that there are so many people as curious as me about what goes on behind the scenes in a publishing house so I do I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh thank you May it was a delight to talk with you. And best of luck finding some fantastic new stories and storytellers from our great Australian authors out there. And uh, yeah I really hope that a lot of people will submit to Friday Pitch and we'll be able to see some fantastic manuscripts. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Words and Nerds podcast. I've been your host, Maya Linnell, and we've been speaking with the very lovely Annette Barlow, a publisher at Allen & Unwin. Now, as you heard, Allen & Unwin are always on the lookout for great new Aussie talent, but perhaps avoid putting your manuscript in the back of a taxi and go through the Friday pitch. Thanks for tuning in. It's been lovely having your company. If you like this episode, feel free to spread the word amongst your writing community. Leave a review to help other people find the podcast or hit subscribe. There's over 300 episodes across all genres, so there's something for readers and writers of all tastes.